I had one girl was coming on the podcast and she was talking all back here and shit. And I'm like, man, get your ass up on the mic. This podcast is brought to you by the letter C, which stands for cannabis, but not Chris. That starts with a K. That's right. You are listening to nothing other than Canisations with Chris. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Canisations with Chris. Your favorite podcast, because I know that's what it is. And if it ain't, it should be. And what we like to do on this show is we like to highlight the people in the cannabis community. And just, how would I say it? How would I say it for this one? I would like to to normalize the cannabis community and bring forth knowledge to thy. Thy is the right word, right? Thy is I think it works them. out. Yeah. There you go. All right. So, this, is a, this is a very... Very special episode, I must say. The individual we have on, I've told a few people that I wanted to have somebody from this entity on the show. And I feel like I wanted to have them on because there is, it's a disconnect in the community. People don't know, people don't understand, and some people don't care to know, and that's their prerogative. But the individual I have on today Today was the first day I've ever seen you in person. That's right. <laughs> We've had conversations on the phone. We were introduced by Amelia Grace, and she was like, hey, I told, she was one of the people I told. I was like, hey, man, I'd love to have somebody on from the CCB just to talk to them and find out a little bit about them. And she was, you know, after we had our show and it was released, she reached back out to me and was like, hey, I know somebody. And they said they would be interested. And I ain't gonna even lie, when she said it, I, I believed her. It ain't like I didn't believe her, but at the same time, I was just like, we get in contact, we get in contact, you know? When That's you, right. We reach out, we reach out. You See know? if it works out. If it works out. And we had a, I remember I had just started my job, my, the job that I have, and it was like day one or two, and we had to talk, and the way my boss operates, he was just like, go do this, I'm gonna go do this. And I worked perfectly under those conditions, so I was able to, talk to you and do my job and then I found myself standing around like really having impactful conversations with you over the phone so he pulled up today and he just didn't get here we've been here for a while just conversating and talking about different things but I think I've talked enough about our meetings and whatnot without further ado we have Kyle Harris from the CCB the Cannabis Control Board of my government Appointed official, is that right? Yep, I was appointed by the governor. Yeah, appointed by the governor here on Canisations. Thank you so much for coming. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, well, like, I, I really appreciate you making the the time to to speak with me, not just today, but every other time we've we've had the opportunity to converse. And yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure that I'm a little different than your normal guest, but <laughs> quite you are. Yeah, <laughs> quite you are. But I don't um, know if that's a bad thing. You know? No, I don't think I I don't think it's a bad thing just because of the diversity in this community. Everybody, you do have groups of people, but you also have people who aren't in those groups. Right. You know what I'm saying? And those people are very, are as important to the community as the people that are clicked up in these groups. So For sure. having a a government of official on my show, really. Like, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you you got a lot of things that you could be doing besides being here and talking. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I <clears throat> I think is really important is not everybody can attend our board meetings. They're 
usually I think at one o'clock on Wednesdays right now. Any, most any way I can find to connect with folks in the community, whether it's podcasts or, you know, we do radio interviews, VPR, we do TV interviews sometimes. Mm-hmm. Any any opportunity that we can really find to to further connect with folks that are unable to join our meetings and, and talk to us in that kind of setting or just not comfortable talking yes. to us in that type of, of setting. We're, we're really cognizant of that. So, you know, I feel privileged to be here and on your show. And if this even reaches just a couple of folks to kind of see where my perspective is on things and why certain decisions are made and, you know, that I don't have all of the power that some folks like to think that I have, you know, <laughs> then, you know, it's all about making sure folks recognize and understand right. facts. Well, just on the conversations that we've had before that, you've provided a lot of clarity just to me and my personal questions within the the lines of the CCB and what you have and what you can do, you know, and things like that. But we'll get into all yep. of that. Let's uh, first, let's normalize you. Let's Appreciate Let's that. take the CCB yeah. of you outside and I'm let's just, talk about. I'm just Kyle. I'm yeah, not let's a government talk to, official. Let's talk to Kyle. Let's uh, see. Let's find out a little bit about Kyle and who he is. Yeah. Well, I'm Kyle Harris. I was born in Springfield, Massachusetts. I grew up in Maryland on a farm, <clears throat> on a working Red Angus cow farm. My dad's a veterinarian and lived on a farm <laughs> just about my whole life. I went to college in South Carolina. I went to the College of Charleston. And I first came to Vermont in 2012, went to law school here. I got a law degree and a master's in environmental policy. Graduated in 2015, moved to Baltimore with my now wife. And I was working for free for an environmental nonprofit and delivering sushi on a scooter around Baltimore. (laughs) Worked my way into some paid internships in Washington, D.C., worked my way up through the agriculture sector. At one point, I was doing the environmental affairs for about 14% of the U.S. corn supply. And I kind of just didn't like the life that was public policy in D.C. It's not genuine. Um, And I just kind of got disillusioned with having to operate in that space, Mm -hmm. um, both on the Hill and with federal agencies. Um, And so I had an opportunity to come back to Vermont and work for the Agency of Agriculture. I was an ag development specialist. I helped set up the Dairy Business Innovation Center, um, getting money to um, dairy businesses that are trying to innovate beyond their normal operations as the the fledgling dairy industry looks for new ways to kind of stay in the green and not so much in the red. I managed the maple syrup grants for the state from USDA. And, you know, I was also brought on to do hemp business development. And I think that was really interesting because I came up here 2019 and... It was right as things were starting to turn south with hemp. And, you know, then COVID happened and I didn't get out into the field to meet all of the awesome hemp growers that I wanted to because we were all locked down and they took my day-to-day responsibilities because I have a law degree. And I started figuring out ways to interpret federal law to help get COVID relief dollars to a lot of the food and agricultural community in Vermont to make sure that we were not doing things that would claw back that money if Mm -hmm. we distributed it with the wrong strings attached, so to speak. And so I didn't get to build any of that rapport with the hemp community that I had wanted to, but I did, you know, I was the one that helped author comments to USDA on, on its hemp rules, helped put together our state plan for hemp. And at that time I was, I was kind of figuring out what my next steps were with the agency of agriculture I did work with the Agency of Commerce and Community Development as well. I was kind of this economic development liaison between 
commerce and community develop it in the agency of agriculture trying to mm. make sure commerce knew what farmers needed to stay viable and that led me to applying for the position that i'm in now and after many different interviews and many different conversations i was able to get the offer to join the cannabis control board as one of the commissioners and you know that's how i got to where i'm at now that's dope let's i, I think it's like amazing that you're not a robot <laughs> like you're not like this like you know i know a lot of people with the 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 government thinking of the government they're more of deny or just a stamping figure just read it no read it no like yep but you bring a real sense of normalcy like you've worked in a lot of different places especially yeah. in agriculture and the development of and then getting into hemp you know what I'm saying, and not being able to do what you did, but then coming into cannabis, which is, if you can see the steps, I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I get the perception yeah. out there, and, you know, I'm not hard to find if you want to have a conversation. See? You know, yeah. people know where to, people people that you know, I'm sure, know where to find me. Yeah, you got an email, right? I got email, number. I got a phone number, kyle.harrisatvermont.gov. <laughs> yeah, that's how I you. found you. Yeah. <laughs> well... Speaking of the CCB, I need you to put your business hat on sure. for a second. What is the point of the CCB, the Cannabis Control Board? I know it's a board that controls cannabis, but like, what is the point of the CCB? Sure. So, so when when cannabis was um, when adult use cannabis was was um, legalized and allowed to become law by the governor, that legalization. Um, had in it the authority to set up an independent board called the Cannabis Control Board. And what we do is we safely, effectively, and efficiently look to create a marketplace that that tries to work the best that it can for everybody who wants to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a tall order. It's really hard to meet people where they're at. Everybody's at a different starting point in this industry. But one of the things that we are really intentional about is trying to meet people where they're at yeah. and, and trying to help them achieve what they want to achieve. That's good because being control board, there's a sense of control that we think that you have. Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny, and I can't remember who it came from, but I remember in one of the early meetings, somebody had wished that we were called the Cannabis Access Board instead of the Cannabis Control Board. And I mm-hmm. actually really like that because the name itself, I think, lends itself to the division that you kind of yeah. that you kind of referenced at the beginning of this episode. And you know I can't change the name. Yeah, you know, it's in law, but you, um, it's yeah. But you know how we act in the in the kind of as a commissioner, the kind of tone that we set and yeah. the values that we hold within the cannabis control board, you know, are 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 funneled all the way to our compliance agents who are speaking with people in the yeah. field, and that is set at the top. And we hired people that we thought would approach folks that see everybody day to day with a sense of respect and a sense of you know, let's let's work together to make this happen. Let's educate before we enforce. Yeah. Mm. Educate before we enforce. Because if you don't know why you're enforcing it, then there's that's going to be that fight back, that push yeah, of think, not knowing why are you doing this. So the educational before enforcement is very important. Yeah, and unfortunately sometimes, you know, it, it's hard to follow that mantra yeah. given the specific set of facts and, and the specific situation. But... You know, I think it's really important to recognize how that narrative hasn't been what we're trying to accomplish yeah, yeah. over the test of time. And, you know, we're trying to slowly change how 
not only in Vermont people view this as a legal substance, but how it's how it's viewed more broadly yeah. than that. And even if you don't participate in the market, you have a good sense that the people that are in this market are professionals and are good at what they do. Yeah, to change the narrative, humanize and normalize your cannabis. You know what I'm saying? You're a government official appointed to cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like you are kind of the person who is going to normalize even though we as consumers buyers you know people like us business owners we're going to uh push the normalcy of it but you're the normalcy in a place that we can't get to or you're creating the normalcy in a place that we don't have access to and we're trying yeah i I can i can tell you that it's one of these slow burns yeah and i think it's important for everybody to remember that you know there's multiple communities that are part of this broader community there's the cannabis community and there's other communities that the board has to speak to listen to hear from whether it's the prevention community or the medical community or the you know medical professionals that still have you know their hesitations about medical cannabis because the data and science isn't there for them because, you know, it's federally not set up to give us good science yet. And so how we can kind of tie a lot of different perspectives together with still prioritizing small businesses and the businesses at the forefront and thread needles with all these other communities that have their reservations about legal cannabis. That's something I hope folks can take in stride because there's a lot of different components to this that we look at because one wrong move and you know it reflects poorly on the entire industry. I I use the analogy of the football sideline versus the basketball sideline. Like the football is thicker and only certain people can be within that thick white line. All the players, coaches, staff, fans can be on one side, but only the players are allowed in this box and in this white line. If you touch the white line, you're out. If if you don't get two feet inside the white line before you touch the white line, you're out. There's a whole lot of things that can happen within this white line. But in basketball, it starts to shrink down. Mm-hmm. You can jump. As long as you jump from out of inbounds to catch the ball to throw it inbounds, that's fine. The coaches can come out. When there's a good play, the players can cross that line in excitement within a space. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I like that. So I feel like this community is we're right now, we're in that football sideline. We're only certain people can be in this area. And those certain people know what they're doing within that certain area, whether we know it or not. Because a lot of fans is always screaming at the coaches to tell the coach, <laughs> well, why don't you play him? Right. Put my son in the game. You know hey, I'm saying? a Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> T- fire anybody and hire that's me. Right. We're going to the chip, baby. There you go. There you, you know go. what I'm saying? But I feel like that's how the community views, you know, doesn't understand, you know. But that's one thing that the point of this show is to bring forth some of those questions, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and, and I think that's important. And we're, we're set up as a society in a certain way that yeah. cannabis regulators are not going to effectuate the changing of how we're structurally yes. set up. But I will say, you know, when I was first seated, I don't think we, we touched many pens to many paper for the first couple months. We, mm. we were really intentional about listening to folks, understanding how they wanted this market to look, what was going to benefit them how they were going to be 
what would interest them in joining a legal market instead of just living for the illicit market? We also had to listen to folks that were anti-cannabis. We had to understand what their reservations were and how we could look to make sure that what they were fearful of didn't actually come to, you know, the front of, of the front page of the paper. Yeah. How big does the the prevention side of cannabis, how big of an impact do they play? In terms of my decision making? Yes. Are they, because I, like me, within a life perspective, I look at life where you have to look at it from a to Z, because there's all these scenarios that can happen in between. So you have to look at the worst case, which I feel like is the preventative side of right. the community versus how can we make a million dollars or be the best thing for the community on this advocacy side. Yeah. So how big does the preventative side of the community play? I wouldn't say it's a driving factor in my decision making. Okay. I would I would say... It's something that I'm cognizant of. And if right. we make a decision that may frustrate some folks from that perspective, we're going to hear about it. Yes. And the governor is going to hear about it. And, you know, the folks that, you know, they, they're they're well organized. Um, you know, and there's they're well-intentioned people. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. They just have a different perspective on perspective. this exactly. than, than we do. And I'm, I try and wade through the emotional aspects of what everybody's telling me and try and look at the facts and logically think what's the best way forward short term and long term and those don't always line up but i think incremental steps are incremental steps and they get us to where we want to go eventually yeah absolutely you you have to crawl before you fly yeah you know what i'm saying when it boils down to it yep before we get into the the question segment one thing that just me personally i didn't know because you're called the cannabis control board control you're a board who controls cannabis how much power does the cannabis control board is that the right way to answer that question how much power you make me sound like i'm some some yeah. some, some king henry the seventh but well, no. <laughs> yeah that's what i kind of want to make you sound like but then you normalize I yeah. yourself i don't think yeah so 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 i get the question and i don't think that the cannabis control board wields this power that a lot of folks out there think that we do i yes. think what folks need to remember is we're the regulatory agency that mm. interprets the law and make sure that everybody that we license is following the law through and by our rules. So the legislature is what creates law. We kind of fill in the gaps to that law mm-hmm. with regulations and rules. And you need to do these X, Y, and Z in order to make sure that you are following the law. So they set up the basic structure of a lot of the market we make decisions on how to get from they kind of identified where we're starting from and you know i guess the end point in a sense maybe that's a bad analogy but we kind of help dictate the directions to get there yeah no that's understandable so i know like i said i thought that the the ccb had you know like in the latin ultimate cosmic power but when it comes down to it you're just enforcing what is given to you in a manner that is comfortable to one keep steam off your back and push this community forward. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, you know, I think some of the decisions we've made are, are very innovative in terms of how cannabis markets function across the country. Yeah. I think to outdoor security. Most are gauged chain link fences with, you know, barbed wire 
on top. And I think any outdoor grower would know that our security measures are nothing like that. If you are doing that, that's your prerogative, but you don't need to do that. It's not required. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, you know, we do need to be cognizant of, you know, what happens if something does go wrong? Yeah. What happens if, you know, too many children end up in the hospital? And we've got to answer those questions on behalf of the community and the industry. And I think we're fortunate that we haven't really seen a lot of that play out yet, um, at least at levels that are above where they were pre-legalization. Um, but, you know, we need to sometimes anticipate the worst is going to happen and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And I think so far we've we've tried to thread that needle and, and done so with moderate success. Yeah. So you're not in control of things like, like the caps, like the nope. the, the nope. THC caps. And- so, yeah, so that's a great question. It's one that we try to answer everywhere and everywhere because... And I'm pretty sure you've had to answer this question a lot. Yeah, yeah. no, I know <laughs> it's the top of it's at the top of a lot of folks' list. And yeah. no, the, the legislature set the 60% solid concentrate cap and 30% on flour. And they are the ones that decide whether or not those caps go away. If they ask us our thoughts and opinions on it, we'll we'll give them our thoughts and opinions on it. Yeah. I always encourage folks that are dissatisfied with those caps. I think it would make our lives easier at the board, in a sense, to talk to their elected officials and yeah. explain to them why they feel the way that they do and, and see if their elected officials will prioritize it for them. You know, each legislative session and the same goes for other things like delivery. People yeah. want the option to to do delivery that's a specific license type that it's that is authorized by the legislature yeah. and then we would write rules on what you would need to do in order to deliver it safely yeah. that, that's kind and of that how was, we would play a role there that was going to be another like because delivery i feel like is a is a huge thing a lot of the people that use it for medicine can't get out to into the community whether it's mental physical or whatever have you they can't do it so i do feel like like deliveries, not only for me, like, yeah, true. I, when I was on the, the legacy market side or the legacy purchasing side, I had somebody pull up to the crib. Right. You know, hey, I need X, Y, and Z, and they'll pull up with X, Y, and Z and maybe a few A's to go with it. But at the same time, like, we don't, being on the legal side, we don't have that. So I do feel like that is something very important. And, yeah, deliveries available in other states. Yeah. Um, we're not there yet, and... You know, I don't think that we can't get there. It's yeah. it's it's explaining that to legislators. It's it's getting them comfortable with the cannabis control board's ability to efficiently regulate that. And oftentimes that means we need more staff or we need more resources in order to do that. So there's just a lot of factors that I think yeah. go into creating new license types, whether it's that or special events or cannabis consumption lounges or you know, being able to consume anywhere you can consume tobacco, like in New York, those are all legislative actions. Mm. We might get asked on how we could do it, and we'll give them a couple we, different scenarios on how it could look and how it okay. could happen. Um, but so legislator asks you, like, what you can... If okay. somebody introduces a bill that has, let's say, consumption lounges in it, they might bring us in to hear from us on whether or not it's possible given the, the current staffing and, and resources available to the board, what what we might need, what kind of rules or regulations we would have to write around doing so and, and whether or not, you know, it's 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 worth it, whether it's yeah. consumption lounges or any other new idea that somebody has cannabis or not. That's yeah. that, that's how kind of like the legislative and 
regulatory functions kind of operate together. Mm. We we do the bidding of the legislature essentially. Ah. See, that's what I'm saying, man. You 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 providing all types of like clarity, you know. Hey, you know, any opportunity that I can find to to help explain how that how that works cuz it's it's confusing. It's a lot to keep up with. I totally get that. Um yeah. But no, I don't have as much control, I think, as some folks think that I do. The things that are legal right now, we uh, oversee those. But right. I can't decide tomorrow that delivery is legal. That's just yeah. not in my job description. Well, look, I want to thank everybody who contributed to the questions when I put them on Instagram. I asked a lot of people. I was like, hey, well, I didn't ask. I just put the post up. And I just want to thank everybody who contributed questions, thinking about my post and then posting. I had a lot of questions. But I ain't going to be able to ask, ask them all, okay? So don't be coming at me after this is over and being like, you didn't answer my question. And I didn't. But I picked three that were very, I felt, were very important. Some that I've thought about, some that was brought to the table for me to think about, and questions that's been presented to me outside of this conversation. So once again, thank y'all for telling me what to, you know, kinds of questions and helping me build this episode. So the questions that I have for you, one being when I was trimming, the one thing I noticed was they would have to sweep up the wet and then we would have to weigh the dries. So can you explain wh- why that is? Like, why do I have to give you all these type of weights? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think <clears throat> when it comes to, to the wet weight and gram requirement of, of our inventory tracking, that's a, that's a requirement that's present in most legal states. And the main reason for that is to prevent inversion. It really helps us and the folks that are helping us analyze our data. Uh-huh. Um whether or not inversion is occurring in the state of Vermont and whether or not and where that may be occurring. Now, what do you mean by inversion? So inversion would be illicit market cannabis operating in the legal market. So it wasn't grown in the legal market, or maybe it was grown legally in another state and it's come into Vermont illegally. So really, I totally get and respect that it's a pain in the freaking ass to kind of (laughs) do that. But we're trying to make sure that as long as you're following the law and the regulations, that your product isn't being undercut by arguably cheaper products that are coming in through the illicit market into the legal market and being sold and advertised as legal cannabis when it wasn't grown in our system. So I don't know if that's an answer that folks are going to want to hear, but it does. It benefits the entire industry to require the wet weight yeah. requirement, and it's designed to prevent um, well, nefarious actors. Well, I don't want you to think that I am looking for answers that they want to hear because <laughs> everybody wants to hear something different and everybody wants to get their fancies tickled. But look, in the reality of it, that's not how it happens. Look, you, know you know, you and I have been talking this morning and, you know, we can disagree on, on things. Absolutely. We can disagree on decisions as they're reached. What's important to me is that we arrive at a different conclusion based on the same set of facts. Yes. What's actually fact and what's factually important. Yes. Because I think it's really easy given how we interact as humans and interact with media these days to kind of 
um, get information that isn't good and that isn't truthful. And I think as long as somebody has a different perspective than I do, that's built on the same true st- set of facts. At the end of the day, that's what humans do. We disagree. We have to. We have to disagree because. I don't think we're all set up the same. I'll bring in different life experiences exactly. and, and trying to do the best that we can every single day. Next question. Um, shelf stables. I've been seeing a lot of um, people wanting to bring new food items to the market. And I guess they're denied, so to speak. They can't do them. They're not allowed to because yeah. of you know, whatever y'all say, you know, not whatever you say, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you, no. You, and, and, it, and I guess at the end of the day it is because what we all say, but I think context is, is really key here. That, yes. And that's, yes. The, and so why is, why is, why are gummies, hard candies and chocolate bars and stuff like that allowed, but we can't be more intricate in our food within cannabis why can't we have like beef jerky or sure or you know just well i know ice cream um, ice cream those, yeah. those types of products really you know some of our decision making kind of really impacted some businesses and that's not something that we did or took lightly in in right. the slightest what's really challenging operating as an independent board is we can only be as good sometimes as the strategic partners that we have within state government and you know, I know a lot of folks that are going to listen to this podcast are members of the cannabis community, but outside that community, cannabis is still looked at in not favorable ways, and and that that includes some of our our agency partners. Here, it's the Department of Health. You know, the Department of Health refuses to inspect any operation that okay. is operating with a cannabis license, and that presents some real challenges to the cannabis control board we've got five inspectors and dedicating you know we don't we don't it's not our mandate to do food and safety inspections our mandate is to inspect cannabis businesses so without that partnership from the department of health to come in and play that role it it really becomes a consumer protection problem and it's really challenging and one of the hardest parts about my job is i hate regulating to the lowest common denominator and this is a part where we really had to regulate to the lowest common denominator. It's not that we didn't, for lack of a better word, trust folks that wanted to do ice cream in that moment in time to do it and do it well and to do it with, with food safety preparedness in mind. What it forces us to also think about is what about the guy with a hot plate in his garage with no food safety training to do the same thing? And then we have a listeria outbreak from cannabis and then it's found out that commercial operation was never inspected by food safety professionals who are often master's level folks in understanding what you need to do to keep a, a, a product shelf stable when it's temperature controlled. Yeah. And that, and there is just a listeria outbreak with a Vermont yeah. ice cream operator. And what if that was one of our cannabis businesses and mm. those types of things kind of keep us up at night, I think. It's easy for folks to wonder why can't you hire somebody with that expertise and yeah, well that was gonna be my next question. Yeah. Well if if you don't have somebody in place We have like well, one former one of our inspectors is a former Department of Health employee. We were able to get him, but it, it still presents challenges because our role and our mandate 
is cannabis businesses, not yeah. inspecting your commercial kitchen. That's just mm-hmm. not what is within our authority so, as a board. That's within the Department of Health's authority. And so to if we want to hire anybody at the Cannabis Control Board, it needs to be authorized by the legislature. So we need to go to the legislature, ask for this position, ask for the right salary, make sure that that includes all of the benefits of being a state um you know, a state government employee mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And all of that takes time. Yeah. Um, we don't get to hire somebody just because we want to, which I think some folks may think that we have that ability, but we yeah. don't. Well, know. that's the way, I mean, well, I mean, just me personally, you know, you being a part of the government, I think that, you know, poof, there you go. You can make it happen. You know what I'm saying? But that's not really the reality. That's I, I feel like that's the disconnect. And of consumer to government or that line of, of both sides. they We think one thing when the reality is this, you know? Yeah, no, and, and I get that. And I think it's interesting because I think government, obviously, you know, the funny sayings are government moves slow, right? You yeah, know? It's true. Um, Hurry up and wait. When I was in the military, hurry up and wait. That's right. <laughs> and it's it's really challenging to move quickly in a government context. Business outpaces government nine times out of 10. And so we just, you know, at at the moment where we were redoing our our regulations, we couldn't get that commitment from the Department of Health. They continued to decline any involvement with cannabis. And so our hands were effectively tied. And it really is unfortunate that I have to make decisions based off of another agency being unwilling to help us. But it's where we are right now. It was never intended to stifle innovation or bringing new products to market. It's just recognizing that the other side of this is consumer protection. And what happens if the consumer, you know, um, I I heard from some retailers that they were anxious that they would need to give their bud tenders specific food safety training to make sure that product stayed and was transferred in the right ways and was handled appropriately. And there was just a lot of things that we didn't have the authority to regulate. Well, that's one thing that I, I mean, I thought about that, you know what I'm saying? Cause I, I, you know, I worked in the food industry. So there's certain food safety guidelines that I had to go to class and, you know, take and with being a cook and everything that you have to do and alcohol licensing and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it, it just for a little while, I questioned like, how are like, would we have to be licensed for that to, provide those type of foods but then at the same time we I don't didn't think that we were going to be providing them it's not like we're serving them mm-hmm. it's more so of that's what you want boom here that's yours give me the money put it in the register have a good day you know it's just it's just helping to ensure what the consumer is paying for the consumer yes. gets and right? then with not being able to keep that cap on what goes on under you know y'all don't have like you said y'all don't have somebody to look at kitchen safety and what's regulated and what's not. And it's, and at the same time, yeah, y'all probably could, or not probably could, y'all could like hire somebody or have somebody appointed, but it's not as easy as we perceive it to be. And That's it, right. it needs to be a process. Like even with a business, like a grant or anything, you have to write it up in order to allocate those dollars to you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm assuming, it's kind of the same way with hiring a food safety cannabis specialist. We, uh, if folks remember when the board was set, we had three 
board members, an executive director, and an executive assistant. And that was all we were given in the initial legislation. There's like 22 people, 21 people working for us now. We've been able to convince the legislature, hey, we need a licensing team to do this efficiently. Hey, we need a compliance team because it was challenging to get any other enforcement mechanisms from other state agencies to, to work with us because cannabis is federally illegal and there's a lot of federal dollars flowing into the state of Vermont into yeah. those specific agencies. It was easier to keep us in isolation, and I think that's a easy card for some, some of these agencies to play. But as it stands, the Department of Health doesn't want to inspect the commercial kitchens, and it's outside of our regulatory authority to really yeah. do that. Um, and y'all can't – it's not like y'all can make the – Department of Health give y'all somebody? Unfortunately (laughs) not. I think what I would say to that is, you know, and it'll be a theme throughout our conversation, if if you're frustrated by that decision, I completely understand why you're frustrated. I think the next step would be to talk to your legislator, talk to your elected officials, and say, why won't the Department of Health work with the Cannabis Control Board? This is state legal. And, you know, they should be working together. And so that's a question that the legislature could ask the Department of Health. Yeah. Me asking the Department of Health that isn't going to get us any closer, unfortunately. Mm. So it's the people. It's they. We, instead of directing our questions to you, so to speak, we need to go above you. And not not saying, no, I'm going to park. Not, not no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, think, I think there's... There's different tracks to get. I say take a different trajectory. There you go. You know what I'm saying? Instead of going above you, and just hey, take I'm not, a... I'm not slighted by the phrasing at all. Yeah. Do not get me wrong. I think that there's, and, and a lot of the advocacy groups know this around the state, you know, there's multiple ways and multiple avenues to try and achieve what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. But it usually starts at the legislature. Yes. Especially when it's something new or it's a question of regulatory authority. Right. So- you know, if the legislature asks us why we made certain decisions, we'll we'll give them that answer, just like I just gave you that answer. And that would be for the Department of Health to come and explain their position on it. And again, there's lots of reasons to not work with cannabis in a government context because of its federal status. It's low-hanging fruit. It's easy to push to the side that way. But I think we deserve to give our licensees that are doing nothing illegal by operating in the state of Vermont a little bit more decency than that. Yes, that's <laughs> that's crazy. Now, this next question. One thing that I've been speaking about with different advocates, different individuals, dispensary owners, growers, even bud tenders, you know what I'm saying? We would like a bar space. We would like somewhere that we can... You got right down the street, you got Robbie's Wildlife and uh, probably a few places down from there, you have another bar. You know what I'm saying? But cannabis, you know, we can't, we don't have anywhere to go. You know, we have to go by it and go home. Like we don't have any place indoor, outdoor, anywhere like that, that we can consume in a safe environment without pulling up on you. You know what I'm saying? So what about consumption lounges? I think, well, we, again, as you as you referenced in your lead-in, we don't have the authority to mm. say yes or no to consumption lounges at the control board. That's a legislative decision. Mm. I would suspect that there's going to be some legislators that are interested in moving in that direction because they recognize that inequity in the, in the consumption world. Like, unless you own a house or have express permission from your landlord, theoretically... 
you can't consume in a public space, which can be really challenging. I think as the board looks at what our legislative priorities are, we kind of tend to focus on equity within our licensees. Not so much here, at least, equity from a consumer perspective, because we don't license consumers. I think effectuating that specific ask is it starts with talking to your elected officials. You know, that's got to make its way from a bill that's introduced out of a out of many committees that might in that that idea might impact to get a vote on the floor and then go to the other side of the house and then do the same thing and then get signed by the governor. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not easy to do but it's not certainly not impossible. I know that there's a lot of folks that are interested in consumption lounges. Yes. We'll get we would get asked how it could happen. We would have to think about worker safety. Can can folks operate in an environment in a consumption lounge when they're when they're working and stay uninebriated. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. people who are smoking right there. What kind of ventilation systems? What, what kind of mm. HVAC systems would be needed in, in these folks? And then <laughs> you're kind of working towards, you know, is it too onerous to even open one? But obviously, other states have them. I've been to many. I've been to Amsterdam. I've, I've you know, I've experienced that kind of setting. I kind of look and know how or kind of know and feel how it would look but the devil would be in the details on how we would Absolutely. look to regulate it if it were to be legal yeah. you know and again that's a the legislature would say that it's legal and then task us with creating rules around what a business would need to do in order to do it legally so in order for us to have a, a consumption lounge basically we have to present it to somebody else legislator being and they would have to get it signed on two different levels before it even got to the governor to get signed, correct? So I guess in a sense, the way it kind of works, somebody introduces a bill. When you say somebody, do you mean a like, legislator? Okay. Will, a legislature will introduce a bill. It'll get assigned to a specific committee. And okay. there's a bunch of different committees on both sides of the legislature that kind of look at how our society is broken down. There's a judiciary committee. There's a energy and environment committee. There's a natural resources committee. There's a health and wellness committee. There's a health and human services committee, those type of things. And essentially it'll pinball through different committees based off of the jurisdiction those committees are responsible for. And it's got to get sign off from those committees and then get a floor vote. Mm. And then it'll move to the other side and then it'll do the same thing. And then it'll get a floor vote and then it'll get sent to the governor's desk and the Mm. governor can either do three things. He can sign it, he can say, he can veto it, or he can allow it to become law without a signature. And allowing things to become law without a signature is is how some things in the cannabis space have operated over the last couple of years. He's pro-business, but not necessarily pro-cannabis in a sense. Mm-hmm. So um, we work with that to the extent that we can and provide what we want to do to, to help as many smaller businesses as we can, recognizing that we're still viewed in a certain way in and around state government in the state house. This has been, I got, I, I got hella questions. Keep but, going. I got some time. Well, I don't, you know, we need to keep it limited <laughs> because one thing, no disrespect to my listeners. Cause I am one of those people, our attention spans are very short. You know what I'm saying? So, and I'm not, this ain't my last show, but it's not like the end. So I would love to have you back on. Yeah. Once we, once we further the market, 
for sure. and where we're at from now and then just gain because there's going to be more questions. Things are going to further and people are going to be like, well, what about, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I would no, love to have you on. I'd, I'd be happy to do it again. One, I want to thank you for coming out. Absolutely. I really appreciate you taking the time from what you said, your perch to come down, not come down, but just talk to us, talk to gain clarity. I know one of the questions I had is why don't they ask questions? Why don't they answer questions? Well, this is proof that you are here to answer questions, but do you have anything that you would just like to basically get off your chest? You know, I just want folks to remember that we're what, just over a year into this market. Yeah. I think it's really important that I don't think anybody's satisfied with where this market currently is. And I think that's true on both the business side of things, but that's true on our side of things as well. I think we've, We've found some success in in licensing folks that have already done some great things. And I'm really happy with the way we've been able to prioritize small businesses in this market. I guarantee you, if you look at most other markets around the country, it doesn't look like our market. There's a lot of small independent operators that are here and thriving. And I think it'll be interesting over the next couple of years on who continues to thrive as businesses get more savvy mm-hmm. and folks kind of understand all of the different skill sets they need to operate a cannabis business. People start in different places. There's a lot of really good growers, but have they ever run a business before? There's a lot of learning and there's going to be growing pains associated with that. I just want folks to, to recognize that we've got a lot more work to do to kind of get this market to look and feel how we want. And we'll make sure to voice We've gone on the record with saying we think consumption lounges and special event permitting and even direct access for growers is something that should happen in this market at some place in time. And it's it can be hard because everybody wants everything now all at once. And I think we are trying to provide a roadmap that kind of answers questions of folks that have their concerns about all of those different special license types with getting us to where we want to go as a market and trying to be as innovative as we possibly can, sometimes with what feels like one hand behind our back. And again, you know, I am not afraid of folks disagreeing with any decision that we make. That is what makes us all human. To me, what's most important is that we're all operating under the same presumption of facts. And misinformation can fly by night in this industry. That's something that I've noticed. And it's really important to me that folks have the right set of information if they're going to disagree with us on certain things. And that presumption isn't built on something that isn't true. And that can be hard to do. And it's hard to control that. It's it's the world we live in. It's yeah. it's media. It's, it's That's what I was about to say. It's yeah. media. Sometimes it's not about getting the right story. It's about who got the story first. Sure. And whatever words come with that story to make it sound bigger, better, worse than what it is, that's what the story is. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. I'm, yeah, you know, I, I don't, again, one of my mantras is I'm never going to make everybody happy, but I can make everybody equally unhappy. And <laughs> if I'm doing that, then I'm not playing favorites to anybody. Everybody can be upset with the decision and we'll all live with it and we'll move forward. But trying to make everybody happy, and that means not just the people in the cannabis community. Cannabis impacts just about every facet of state government from driving to we talked about the Department of Health to environmental issues to access to grants and loans and stuff like that through the Commerce Department to the Tax Department to 
public safety to everything. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to make everybody unhappy with the decision that we can all live with and move forward from. No, nah, that's um, very profound because a lot of people, including myself, like I always include myself, I always look at the government as a big machine. I don't look at them as humans. I mean, I do. I understand that everybody has a human side, but I understand that everybody has a job to do. Having that, like you said, that mantra, as long as everybody's unhappy, then I've done it right. You I, know? I think it's a really weird and twisted perspective, but I think if you, the more you think about it, you're like, uh, at least he's not paying, playing favorites. Right? And, you know, I will say, like, I've worked in and around government at the federal level. I've worked in and around government at the state level. Everybody's human. Everybody gets sick. Everybody yeah. has vacations. Everybody has kids. Everybody goes to their kids' recitals. Everybody goes, you know, everybody is human, just like me and you. We <laughs> pull our pants on one leg at a time. Yep. But I will say, you know, the CCB is lean. We don't got a big staff. I have never experienced in and around government affairs a team of dedicated folks like the CCB has. And Mm. I'm not just trying to toot my own horn at all. Like, I'm a pretty straight shooter and I'm genuine. At least I like to think so. The people really genuinely care about our licensees. And I've worked in other places where it's more like punching a clock. And those kind of bureaucratic jokes that everybody likes to make myself included because hey like i gotta go to the dmv too yeah, you know i gotta exactly. like i gotta like do all the things just like the rest of us no, do too. Just, i like <laughs> yeah so like you know i i guarantee and it's, i'm not slugging the dmv sorry dmv <laughs> but um but you know they care and yeah. we try and get back to everybody with the answers to all of their questions but there's 500 plus licensees there's a thousand employees and there's 23 of us. And well, we do our best through guidance and FAQs and networking events to try and get wa- different ways to answer questions. This is another way that I think we're interested in answering questions just because I recognize not everybody wants to or feels the need to come to our meetings. You know, I'm not uh, afraid of feedback at all. I'm not, I'm not out to get universal praise or be everybody's friend. Unfortunately, yeah. like I, I found a lot of really cool friends in this industry since I've had this role. That is undeniable. There's so many awesome people working in and around this industry, Absolutely. whether tangentially or related or direct licensees that we've had the pleasure of meeting that way. But at the end of the day, like I have to compartmentalize that emotion with logically how we can move this thing yeah. and keep it from falling off the tracks. And those decisions don't always line up. And that's one of the hard parts about the job. Yeah. Well, you you definitely brought the normalcy of to me to of your position and your standings within because, like I told you, I thought that y'all was the end all say all y'all the CCB. If y'all say no, then that's what it is, and it's fucked up. But it's not all so much on you guys. It's spread around before it even becomes yeah. what we want it to be. Well, we have to say no. We don't say no lightly. And we like to try and help folks understand why. Why we're, why why, you're saying, why no. we're saying no. And sometimes yes. we, sometimes it's our decision making. Sometimes it's because we don't have the support that we need in order to make that decision. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. We make mistakes. We are constantly learning. We are trying to figure out how we can best meet people where they mm. are and it's hard to meet everybody where they are all the time. It's a lot e- it would the market would be a lot easier if we had five big operators that 
we were very top down to and said, you can do this, 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 and this, and you can't do this. And there's only five of them. That's just not how we wanted the market to look. It's not how yeah. anybody wants the market to look. No, we don't. So yeah, we want we want that craft. Right. That the people who care. Yeah, and I know I like w- yeah, I would rather have honestly. It's you know, I'd rather have somebody who doesn't have SOPs and things in place like that because I know that they don't have those, so they're going to put forth their best effort in this. You know, in their crop, they're going to put that that love into their product and stuff like that. So. Yeah. No, I hear you. And I think one of the things that we think about is is short term, but also long term. What happens when federal legalization happens? Yeah. Everything's going to consolidate. Markets consolidate. It's capitalism. That's the world that we live in right now. Yeah. Um, how can we survive that market consolidation? And I think some of the decisions we've made, some of which are unpopular, whether it's packaging or other sustainability stuff that we've really tried to ingrain, the positive impact stuff that we've really tried to ingrain into mm-hmm what we ask of licensees like we're trying to gear everybody up for that post-federalization legalization consolidation where folks are still going to want craft options what's going to separate you from the big boys coming down the pipeline and that's hard to see i think for some at least because it affects your bottom line in the short term but i think long term i'm pretty hopeful that some of those decisions will will pay off and separate Vermont and the craft operators we have here that are rocking and rolling from the options that are going to be available yeah. to everybody else across the country. Hey, I ain't going to front, man. I didn't, I didn't smoke weed in a lot of places, like throughout, but Vermont, it's some, one, it's some great growers here. Absolutely. I ain't going to, I ain't going to, I probably got the best weed that I didn't had. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've coined my smokingage here yeah you know what i'm saying i found out what i like what i don't like and i have the option to do that it's not like i'm going to you know what i'm saying joe schmo crib with a hundred dollars and being getting what i can get you know what what I'm saying? all day from the taxi back exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no i get it man i get it i get so it there is but i'm just i'm glad one to have you on and two for you to to bring the normalcy to the industry and to understand it you know what I'm saying? So I really appreciate that. Yeah, so, no, I'm I'm happy to come back. I'm, yeah. I'm always happy to to talk about the decisions that yeah. we make. It it'd be easier for me to not do so. Yeah. Um, but that's not how I learn. I'm continuously learning in this role, whether yeah. it's plant touching itself or it's how can we help small businesses and get them access to more tools to make sure that they're successful in year 1, year 3, year 5, year 10, so yeah. on and so forth because that's, that's where the true success will be if we look back in 5 to 10 years and projections and how much money the state makes off of this is not what I'm really interested in. It's just who can be successful in this marketplace and who can find long-term viability as Mm. something that they're really good at. And there's a lot of skill sets that are required of folks in this marketplace, notwithstanding the regulatory requirements that are there. And do I think it's overregulated? Yeah. Is my hand forced to do that because of the relationship between the federal government and states when it comes to legalized markets at the state level, yeah, we've got to require folks to do certain things, whether I want to or not, or else we get prioritized by the federal government. And I don't want to set folks up for that. That's not, you know, that's not what I'm about. That's that's a, that's, that's a setup. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard, um, knowing that I'm putting some requirement on somebody that seems a little over regulation, but at the same time, if I don't do it, if we don't do it, 
it could set us up for bigger problems. And so it's always that cost benefit that we've got to we've got to look at and weigh in decision making. Well, look, man, once again, thank you so much for coming out. Absolutely. I greatly appreciate your conversation. So can you tell them where to find you at? online yeah absolutely i mean we have a we have an account on instagram and twitter vermont ccb vermont spelled out and anybody can email me kyle.harris at vermont.gov if you have questions and i can answer them i will be back in touch if not i will make sure they get to the right people my phone number is not hard to find um 802-636-7589 there you go look at that and they say you hard to get in contact with. Well, there you go. You just gave them all your information. So, boom, that's the contact right there. Yep. And if you see my mans out on the street, leave them the fuck alone. Let them be. It's, it's, you out here pushing hard enough for us. <laughs> I'm a consumer but, at the end of the day, just like the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, you're so. a consumer just like the rest of us. Somebody said, ask him, do he smoke weed? I'm like, boom, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and again, that's part of the, you know, you want to get to know me as Kyle, not as me as my job title. I'm always happy to I know some people would disagree, but the root of regulatory is the word regular. And I think we really try to make it as regular as we possibly can, recognizing that I can't do everything that I want to do in this marketplace right now. But tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow's another day. Well, once again, man, thank you for coming out. Thanks, greatly Chris. Appreciate I appreciate it. you. Hell yeah. And thank y'all for listening. Greatly appreciate y'all. And once again, thank y'all for these questions, man. This episode was built by y'all. <laughs> so, also, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying this in front of the government official because it's okay. Y'all make sure y'all look out for the Cannabis Stations pre-roll line. We'll be partnering with Lost Lake Cannabis to have a joint venture on pre-roll. It's coming out soon. Got a whole lot of other stuff cooking as well. Got a website about to come up. You know what I'm saying? Let me just roll out the scroll of stuff that I'm going to be doing. But I'm going to just do them instead of telling y'all I'm going to do them. So once again, thank y'all for listening. Thank you, Kyle, for coming out. Absolutely. And y'all know the drill. Y'all stay blazing and stay amazing. And we out. Good, man. Good. What do you think? Hey, man, that was great. Good. I told you, man, I like the fact that we are normalizing. Yeah, I'm sure some people will roll their eyes at things that I say. But. Hey, oh well, they still listen. Yeah, right. <laughs> they still listen. They don't, you can roll them all they want, yeah. but they listen. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on the time.